is Ashlyn Evans and her new single, Feel About You, which she has very graciously allowed us to play out the end of the podcast with. Um, Feel About You has over 2 million hits on YouTube. Uh, Ashlyn is working with Naughty Boy, the producer, um, and it's very exciting to be able to showcase this on the podcast. Um, And thank you to Ashlyn for being part of it. I am joined today with Sherelle, our lovely editor-in-chief. Um, so let's just get right down to it. God, it's so cool to talk to you. It is. Right? <laughs> hey. Oh my God, I love the artwork in the background. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. It's just, our, our walls are still there. We just put posters up everywhere. That's really cool. Where did you get those? Um, campus. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. <laughs> No, they're really cool. Mm. Okay. I was kind of hoping you were going to say, oh, I did them. And then I was like, um, artwork, please. Well, I guess I don't really know where to begin. I guess we can just... I was like trying to make a list of stuff to talk about. And then the yeah, list just became like a page long. I made like a small list of pieces that I kind of responded to when I looked back through the issue. Hmm. So what did you, what was your, your first thing, I guess? All right, my, my first thing was a poem that someone wrote um, saying that their grandmother reminds them of Sylvia Plath. Oh, God, uh, Kate Sweeney. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Because um, I've only recently fully put together the tragic life that is Sylvia Plath, and not just in the sense that we all read the work and it sounds like you know, an emo child. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, um, Sylvia Plath, as we all know, um, was severely depressed. Maybe some of us don't know that she um, went through, like, electrocution therapy, which is not fun. Yeah, um, <laughs> I mean, ECT, I mean, it wasn't great back then, but I think it's a lot more, you know, it's pretty humane now, but, like, I mean, obviously Carrie Fisher had it as well, but... Um, electroconvulsive shock therapy isn't although I think they've taken the shock out of it now um, <laughs> which is probably just as well but pretty bad for Sylvia <laughs> I think they left the shock in when they did that with her the, the poem really reflected that sort of like generational disconnect or pain mm. for me um, but also when Sylvia Plath killed herself um we all know she put her head in the oven. Like, that's a story we all know, uh, yeah. unfortunately. Um, but her, her, her children were home when she did it. Um, and then I recently found out that um, one of her sons, uh, when he was older, also committed suicide. Yeah, Nicholas, a so few again, years ago. Not even that long ago, I don't think. Yeah, and so it's like, it just got me thinking about sort of generational mm. you know? Yeah, and I I like remember reading that um, that poem when it was first submitted, and just kind of like it, and that's exactly what you said. It's like that generational thing, because like I think people had to be tougher back then. And I always remember like my grandmother was lovely, I and mean, she's such a sweet woman. But I remember like my dad always kind of saying, you know, she was a really tough mother. Like when she was when he was younger, you know, she wasn't like an easy 
an easy she wasn't like as she was as a grandmother is not how she was as a mother and I always remember that like oh that's such a I have no concept of what she would be like you know before that that doesn't make any sense to me but I think a lot of people had to be that way back then it was just how you survived and how you got through it and I think there is that generational hangover of pain I think um but I really I was really surprised that someone tackled that in a poem it's just like yay yes (laughs) but uh oh god yeah she was that was yeah that was definitely like an interesting one I really liked her other poem as well the at the obstetrician's office which I was just like ooh Phenomenon of circumcision for men. Oh, God, like, an entire is week. Well, because I think, no, but it damages women. It doesn't damage men. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I know there's like a whole, it's a whole thing in the US of like, oh my God, why are they doing this to baby boys? And it's kind of like, well, actually, sometimes medically it needs to be done. Like it, it has to be done sometimes because it's like the foreskin is too tight or whatever. It's going to cause pain and problems later on. Like the doctors can tell, but I think it's not like ritualistically done over here, I guess. Whereas it is maybe more in in the US. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, I mean, I don't know. It looks better. (laughs) Saying it as a, as a person who's a fan of penises, I would be like, yeah, it's just a little bit easier, right? So I'm not like, I don't have an issue with it if it's for medical purposes or religious purposes. I mean, either way, it's more hygienic. And I don't think that you lose sensitivity. Like, there's this whole discussion about, like, do you lose sensitivity? Are you less sensitive? Like, I think you're probably going to have the nerve endings that you're going to have. Do you know what I mean? I don't think it's really in the long scheme of things going to make a massive difference so I think like the the bunch of guys out there who like moan about like their foreskin being taken off it's like you don't know any fucking difference and also you're cleaner (laughs) so just deal it's fine like it doesn't have the same when I hear guys kind of moan about it I'm kind of like oh shut the fuck up it's not causing you any biological problems it's not like if you did that to a woman which would be like a massive fucking lifelong journey of pain and it's like, then it's mutilation, but it's not, I don't think guys can say the same thing. You're not missing anything. I can't believe you guys devoted an entire week to that. That's, <laughs> it's two seconds. Snip, snip. <laughs> I'm sure there are guys out there that will listen to this that will completely fucking hate mail me over saying that. But like, you know, whatever. I don't notice any difference. I don't think anyone does. I mean, if you're really sitting around mooning about your foreskin, then you've, you've, seriously, you need to get a hobby, like. But it was an interesting poem. <laughs> well, I like the, op- um, the juxtaposition, because obviously when you think of your OB, you think of women's health. Yeah, of course. But yeah, it was just, she was one of those people that just kind of really surprised me. Um, and if we're talking about children, we have to talk about Maggie Smith. <laughs> Oh my god, my love affair continues. Um, I was actually going to try and get her 
on the podcast, but I know she's really busy, so I kind of just didn't say anything to her. I, I didn't think it was going to have... I didn't, I didn't think she'd have enough time um, between when I decided it in my head and, like, actually, like, doing it now. Um, but I think I might do. Blast Falconer is going to do a podcast with me as well, which I'm really excited about because he's, like, my hero. He's he's cool. Um but I my, fuck I fucking love that poem. Like having children is like dropping acid. And it is. Like, do you have nieces and nephews? Because I've well, I'm soon to have four. Oh no. Oh. Yeah. But I've like I've I've two nephews and one niece, and I'm think I'm about to have a fourth niece um the end oh. of this month. Um yeah, all planned. I mean, I really don't know how my sister does it. Like I I I, I I don't get it <laughs> where she gets the energy from for like four kids <sighs> but it's so funny because like they do sort of make up their own words with stuff and yeah I, you know I don't know and it's kind of like there's that bit in the poem where she's kind of saying alligator for elevator you know which is yeah. kids do that and it's so cute but like I kind of didn't that was not the poem that I expected her to to, to write. Like, I, I don't really know why it wasn't, but it was just such a great poem. I'm always tempted talking about this stuff to, like, read them out, but then I'm kind of like, oh, maybe not. Well, you can maybe read them out. You just have to bring some, like, theatricality to it. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm also kind of afraid that I'll never read it like the right way either. You know, it's not the way that they would read it. So I don't know. I mean, I guess if we're going to talk about it, maybe I should read it, right? I don't know. Or do you want to read it? Oh, you can read it. <laughs> God damn you, Cheryl. <laughs> Cheryl, sorry. It's um, okay. Okay. <clears throat> Having Children is Like Dropping Acid by Maggie Smith. In 101 ways, like, for example, you suddenly have new words for things. Alligator for elevator, or a pirate's tickle me shimbers. And every word is on the tip of your tongue. There, right there. And you can hear music more acutely. Like once, I swear I heard a part of a Bowie song I'd never heard before. New instrumentation. But no, it was the same version I'd played hundreds of times. And talk about an out-of-body experience, an other plane experience. How you realize the moment, or the minute you're born, you start dying. And the same goes for the minute you pick a flower. You tell your kids this when they bring in wild violets from the yard, and it makes them sad. It changes them. And everything is more beautiful and more terrible. And the colors are so alive, they sing. You wouldn't believe the, the vibrato of green and each hand trembling in the spectrum. Each band, sorry, Jesus, I'm fucking this up. Each band trembling in the spectrum has its own smell and texture, and they hurt you. I mean, it hurts you just to look at them. Oh, God, she's so good. I kind of liked, like, the really um, conversational style of it. I think which sitting next to you and letting you know like can I tell you something yeah exactly but it's like there's a sadness in it that it's sort of like like with the flowers like you have to explain to them that like yeah actually you're you're killing it by doing that but like 
you know, and there's that kind of like, oh, you're kind of, you f- yeah, you're just sort of interrupting their innocence a little bit. It's like, I don't really like answering questions when my nephews, my, my nephew asks a lot of questions, Oshin, and I, I always kind of feel like, oh, I don't really want to tell you the truth because I'm just going to ruin something, <laughs> you know, like the more knowledge he gains, it's like the less innocent he sort of becomes. And it's, I think that's what I like about that poem. I've always found couplets to be romantic as well, like regardless of the context. And there's like a yeah, a dreamlike quality to this. There is something, yeah, it's true. I don't really know why that is. That's interesting that you, yeah, couplets. They are. They always do have a sort of a. Is it because it's hard to follow? the structure I suppose when you're reading it it's sort of sudden right so you kind of one image sort of goes into another I don't know but yeah and then I guess well my god I I have a list of stuff what's on your list alright I also have no one likes a blue girl on my list (gasps) yes Yes, Queen. Yeah. So I reread that yesterday. Yeah, I reread that as well, actually. Um Ugh man, that fucking blew me away. It's I don't know. I find titles really interesting because sometimes you start reading um a submission and then the title just throws you off it's not exactly where you think it's going to go but from like the outset of that story like the first line was just like okay (laughs) we're doing this this is where this is going like what was the first line and the first time i kissed a girl i was in a mental hospital for cutting i was 15 jesus it's like okay right man we're there pieces that sort of make me forget that it's a fiction, you know? Yeah. Um, there's, like, a moment where she's talking about, like, I was 12, then I was 15, I just w- wanted people to want me. Um, and there mm. was, like, such a relatable feeling of um, wanting connection, um, but not getting it, even though you're physically, she's, like, you know, promiscuous. She's physically with people, but not with them at all. Yeah. There's a self-destructive, relatable thing to that. Yeah, it's like, it's, you kind of get the sense it's all just physical, but they're never actually getting anywhere near her. And I think that, I think that's the main thing in the story is like, that's what it's really about. I think the setting is just it's sort of like a fishbowl, right? Like, so if you're on like a mental ward, like you're being watched constantly all the time by the staff, by, you know, nurses, by other patients, like you can't get away from them. Um, you're just sort of locked in there. Um, speaking from experience, but it's, it, it is that side of it where she just doesn't really ever connect with anyone. And you, you, you feel that remove with the, with the character in the story, which is just, I mean, it's so tempting to read it as, like, semi-nonfiction, <laughs> but right. maybe she's just that good a writer. 
Yeah, it's it's some of them I'm kind of like, oh, you, yeah, you do have to kind of check yourself and just kind of be like, yep, it's character. <laughs> I felt like that with, um, oh, God, what was the name of it? Uh, oh, no, I don't have it written down. <sighs> Chalk Talk. Yeah, Nate Ferguson, you know, it was so well written. Like I was reading it before, actually, before we started doing this, I, I went out for a cigarette and I was reading it at the same time. And I was just like, oh, God, this is amazing. It's just it's not overdone in any way. And it just feels like you're just totally in it. Like you almost feel like you're sitting in his like apartment with him. And everyone has had like kind of a creepy neighbor that you don't really ever get to know all that well. I just love the characters. I love the idea of just, like, at times passive-aggressive, but at times, like, really heartfelt, like, notes. Like, anyone who's lived in a yeah. complex or of any kind has seen a note. Yeah, of <laughs> course. This is like the post-it. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I used to live in... Oh, God, I used to live in this house in Rialto in, in Dublin, which is a shithole. But um, there was, like, there was me, there was a Polish girl, there was a German girl, and I probably wasn't very easy to live with at the time. I think I'd just gone through a breakup, so it was, like, super, like, all over the place mentally. Um, but there was, like, this Catalan guy who was, like, super nationalist. But he didn't really speak that much English, so his English was kind of all over the place. Um, but he had, like, post-its. We, like, put these post-its up to, like, say, wall, like, refrigerator, radiator, you know, like, everywhere. So he would, like, figure it out. Like, and on the ceiling, we had one that said ceiling. So, like, that kind of stuff, like, to help him sort of get the words through. Because he'd, he'd get into conversation, but then he'd, like, get frustrated and would just, like, leave the room mid-conversation. And we were like, what the fuck? Um, but... He was kind of passive aggressive and I remember leaving for work one day and I made sure that the back door was locked. I physically locked like the, the bolt lock from, you know, the inside of the house. And I knew he was still there, but I kind of thought, oh, I'll just do it just so I know that I'm being careful. And like left the house, came back and he obviously was off work that day. And apparently we'd been burgled, but they'd only burgled like one girl's room and had somehow managed to take like 200 euro from like this tiny cup thing that she kept money in on her dresser that was like super specific if you did not know that was where she kept money there is no way you would have found it yeah. and you know malva malvina's like the other girl her like computer was left in her room my computer was left in my room i had like 400 pounds in ca 400 euro in cash like on my bedside table or whatever that wasn't touched and he tried to be like oh but Lorcan left the the living room window open and I'm kind of like no I didn't that was definitely not like we live in Rialto I'm not leaving the fucking ground floor window open so like someone will definitely walk into the house like that is not a question um I just couldn't believe it I was like oh you fucker like you're totally lying to all of our faces and we know you're lying but like the German girl like she didn't want any drama and fair play to her but it was kind of like you have to 
do something. So then after that, we got like really passive aggressive and we started swapping the post-its around so that the refrigerator said the wall and stuff like his English became completely fucking garbled. It was like he just he couldn't speak English anymore. And that was like our revenge for being such a dickhead. I know, but he, he moved back to Barcelona, I think. I'm not sure that he ever really got a grasp of English after that, but oh, it's terrible. But that's kind of what that like reminded me of, like the notes. Oh, that fucker. Yeah, it's funny though. But I I felt like he wrote. He just developed the characters so well, and it's sort of like, even with the character Sage, you know, like the barista. Where it's kind of like, well, everyone falls in love with their barista. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's such a cliche. But then it, like, it kind of works. I think it would have been more of a cliche if he'd, like, kind of had the horn for her, but, like, never asked her out and they never got together. I think it works, actually, weirdly, that they do get together. So it, yeah. I just, it, it did so many things right, I think, Chalk Talk. I was going to say, like, the last message, like, the welcome home, like, if not earned, that would have been so, like, cliche to me. Yeah, I think it, it just... Yeah, it wouldn't have worked at all. Yeah, and I think if something like that hadn't happened, I think the entire superstructure of the story wouldn't have worked. Like, it's one of those small things that I think probably the writer isn't even really that aware of, of it, but it's one of those things that when you're as a reader when you're reading it you're kind of like oh yeah that's really satisfying <laughs> I did really like um, uh, that other short story Black Hill Mountains um, by ooh, flick through pages really quickly L- Lillian King I want to say I'm sure I'm correct yes it is Lillian King I, I like I'm really bad I treated myself to like a print copy of it which is like 15 16 fucking quid it's really expensive but every issue I kind of buy myself like an issue from issue that makes sense it looks fuck. it looks fucking good as well like but I'm like oh I made this but um yeah no I really like I really like that story and I kind of I'm not really sure why Black Hill Mountains kind of hit me. I think it's it's the the sort of subdued kind of homophobia in it that is sort of yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's like that thing. It's like that um have you ever seen that video of like the uh, Panty, like the drag queen in Ireland. We call her like the queen of Ireland because she should be. Um, no, we only have like RuPaul here. <laughs> oh, you should check out this video. It's um, Panty Bliss is like her name, but it's um, Rory O'Neill is actually the guy who is Panty. Um, like, yeah, we have like a thing for drag queens in Dublin. We freaking love them. Um, let me see. 
Yeah, I'll send it to you. I've got it there. Um, but basically, he was talking about um, just like generalized homophobia, like how he'd be standing like at the, you know, the 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 traffic light, like waiting to cross the street, and someone, some guy, some bunch of lads in a car, like threw like a milk carton at him, and he was like, oh they could see I was gay. And what am I doing that they can, that they, what am I doing that they can see that I'm obviously gay? Like, what is that? And he started to kind of like internally just check himself all of the time so that he wasn't being like too gay. And I kind of like, that's sort of where this short story kind of brought me back to is that like, the guy in the, that owns the store can like he's obviously being like slightly passive aggressive to this gay kid like trying to buy his boyfriend a, a you know a, a present mm-hmm. I think there's like a level of I'm gonna use fancy terms here heteronormativity to like every time a man is seen shopping of any kind like apparently men don't shop yeah, no of course not obviously for a woman <laughs> <laughs> yeah obviously not it's there is yeah that's true actually I hadn't really thought about that I can't remember the last time I saw my dad in a supermarket <laughs> yeah same straight men are afraid to just shop <laughs> but, but it's, I guess it's just not traditionally done. I mean I mean I don't know I don't know how old your parents are but my parents are like coming up to 70 so they're you know my mother will fucking kill me if she hears this. <laughs> she looks amazing, though, for her age. She, well, actually, not even for her age. Scratch that. She looks amazing. Um, she's gorgeous. But it, there is, like, a level to that where, yeah, that is, like, a thing, actually, that we don't really think of. I guess maybe not our generation. I think it's less so our generation. But I see yeah. in older generations, they always look confused if you've ever seen an older man in a grocery store <laughs> but yeah i mean sainsbury's is just a task on a on a saturday afternoon i tell you that much it's like move why are you standing in the middle of the fucking aisle don't look at your phone now concentrate um but they're oh god it's so true but then in saying that like as a man going into a supermarket like you can buy fancy shampoo you can buy hairspray you can yes. buy like waxing things and no one fucking looks at you funny either because it's kind of like oh he's obviously buying it for his wife like Mm-mm, no girl <laughs> <laughs> but it's that kind of stuff you know so it is funny that like whereas I think oh my god I remember I was a couple of days ago I think I was in Sainsbury's and I was like um I was just buying food and there was a a woman who, like, it was about my age, but she was, like, buying condoms, and she was, like, beetroot red. And I was, like, seriously, like, why are you <laughs> embarrassed? Like, what are you doing? Come on. Like, if that... And I remember thinking, if that was in my basket, no one would even notice it, probably. Yeah. But I think it was just the fact that she was, like, super embarrassed about it. It was, like, what? Okay, so it does kind of go both ways. But it's... Yeah, I kind of liked, I liked that story though, but I, it was really uncomfortable to kind of, I felt, like you, you totally get on the side of, of the, the character in the story, you know, like, 
you just feel for him a little bit. Like, the awkwardness is so well done. And it's one of those stories that it's, like, it's so kind of, like, it seems kind of random. Like, where did she get that from, <laughs> you know? Like, how, why why is this gay kid in an antique shop? I don't, like, how did that happen? Where did that idea come from? But it's good. I liked it. What yeah. what other story? Because, I mean, we could do this all day but like I'm kind of what what was your favorite story maybe that we haven't spoken about oh actually my favorite thing is a poem yeah (laughs) I am still thinking about that losing a son poem and I do think oh jealousy when I when I look at good poetry Mm. because I'm a poet Sandy Coomer I'm just very upset yeah I'm just very upset that I have gotten to this level of skill <laughs> like that's a good poem and it's the way that it's structured as well it, it's like it's um sure and it's natural usually when people structure poems you can tell that the structure came first yeah but i i i, I totally agree with you do you think it's something that maybe she found the structure later because that's what it reads like mm. i wonder if maybe she had set out for just like a basic palindrome kind of thing and then she found this really cool triangle yeah but it's it's so natural that it's hard to tell mm-hmm. but i mean that just speaks to her ability you know i mean you can definitely tell with like bad poetry when it's the structure is the thing that comes first um it, it just doesn't read the same but Oh god, that that like fucking punched me so hard that poem. I mean, I cry a lot anyway, but that like, <laughs> but that really like that really made me teary. I was just kind of like, oh god, I hope this is a speaker. I hope it's not true. Um, and if it is, it's really brave. Yeah, I liked her other poem as well. The um, the Minotaur's last interview. I just was like, oh my god. I wish I'd written that. Are you familiar with a TV show called Legion? Like about uh, the X-Men Legion? Yeah, I mean, I've seen it, but I haven't watched it. It's a really cerebral show. And in the in the season that just wrapped up, there's this horrific image of a minotaur that keeps showing up. It's like... A minotaur that had his legs broken or something. Oh, fuck. Yeah, because apparently, like, you know, the mythology of a minotaur is not just, like, hot guy with horse body. It's, like, (laughs) it's, like, a very, like, evil presence, and I hadn't realized that. Yeah, it's, it's like, a punishment, wasn't it? Like, he was, whoever it was, was turned into, like, this awful creature. Um, God, the Greek gods were fucking assholes. But, no, I have to check that out. That sounds really good. Oh, fuck, now it's ruined it. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's a really sweet, nice way of looking at that that fable. And now I'm like, oh. <laughs> Sympathy for the devil, okay. <sighs> oh, but it's a great poem. Like, I really wish I just... I, I, it's something I would like to write. But that, oh, God, the other poem, Running. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. 
do you, oh god, do you remember that one? Okay, well, I'm going to read this because it's so prescient, I think, for the US particularly. So it was written after, like, the school shooting in Parkland in Florida. And I'm so running. That slick floor, the light at the end of the hall, the afternoon breaking into pieces of glass, the pop, pop, pop of the breaking, the running, all those children running across the parking lot. They will run every nightmare into the street. I tell the doctor I limp when I run. There's a pop of pain in my hip. The x-ray says arthritis. The doctor points, says, see this space? So little is left. I was just like, oh, fuck me. That's amazing. Um, Because it's such... This was submitted to us. Yeah. um, It it was more of a prose poem. Yeah, it was longer, right? Yeah. I still think... I think you... I think you were right. I think it does work better. Shorter. Um... She was amazing to work with as well because, like, I find it really difficult when it's the genesis of the thing is there, but you you can see, like, with editor brain, like where the actual meat and bones of the the actual piece is. So I'm always kind of really reluctant to approach people and be like, "Oh, can we slightly change this? I think this might be better in this way," and then you you know I kind of like show it to them and like generally they're they're like poets are fine with it because you know it's you know have you someone ever turned around to me and was like no i want it just the way it is i'd kind of be like "Mm." (laughs) well yeah um but also i'd kind of be like okay well it's either it's either a yes or no then Mm -hmm. That, that it gets very black and white for me there but it's and I'm, you know, I'm not sure how, but I've had editor, I've had so many editors turn around and be like, can we lose this line? Can we lose this? Can we, this last verse isn't useful. So, and I've always said yes, because they know better. They know what they're, and generally, like, I don't think an editor has ever turned around to me and kind of made a change that I felt wasn't better anyway, mm-hmm. in retrospect. So, I, I mean, as, as writers, all of us <laughs> we feel like imposters, like we're just waiting for someone to be like you don't know what you're doing. And we're like, you're right. Yeah, exactly. But that's kind of like the the risk of of that. Like, I don't want them to feel like I know any better. I'm just sort of seeing where the, I think it's the objectivity thing, right? Like as an editor, you tend to be objective. Um, But it it is always like, I do always think like, is a part of that person just slightly hating us right now? (laughs) Because we, (laughs) we took a scissors to their work. But I think with that poem, I think it really works. I think it, it, it lost something in the longer version of it. Yeah, the fact that every single line is a sentence, there is an immediacy to the Mm. poem. There's such an urgency that matches what it's trying to be. Yeah, no, I think so. But it's such a weird subject. It's it, like, it's not, I mean, I really don't understand the psychology of like going into a school with a gun because it just doesn't happen over here. I think it happened once. Um, it's, it's just not a thing. But then we're not a gun culture, so I don't really, you know, my, my big thing moving to London was I realized the police had guns. Really? Yeah, like they do not carry weapons in Ireland like they're, they're unarmed 
I mean, they stab vests and stuff like, like the usual stuff, but they just, they don't carry guns. Being armed is a completely other thing in America. Yeah. So, but it's like anyone can have a gun. Yeah, that's true. I just don't understand. <laughs> like, why? Why do you need that? I don't, like, I did just, it's, it's so completely strange to me. But I think that's why kind of, I had quite an emotional reaction to that poem. And I think that's kind of why I, I mean, you have a different perspective, right? Yeah, so I, you, I respond to is the fact that you have to literally indicate that this is after a Parkland shooting. Like, we have so many. It's like, which one are we talking about? Yeah, I thought she was talking about, like, the other one that had happened, like, I think, also in Florida. Um, like, yeah, just not even that. No, there was like a recent school shooting that was like somewhere else in like Illinois or something. And it was like there was two of them like really close together. And I thought that's what she was talking about. That's why she added in the 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 sub sort of header to say that it was actually it's Parkland. But I was like, oh, OK, that happens a lot if you have to. Unfortunately. <laughs> Uh, yeah, a thing I'll never fucking understand, but it was... I'm glad someone wrote a poem about it. You can't let that shit slide. Um, can we also talk about Christopher Locke? That guy. Okay. <laughs> I really liked that first poem, Three Bro... Because it's like... I feel like we get a lot of that sort of poetry, but it never usually works. <laughs> But I think you don't really get to have a breath. Like I, I'm such a stickler about stanza breaks. I just think you need a, a natural place to freaking breathe. But sometimes it yeah. works. <laughs> yeah, I I totally agree. If I see like a chunk of poetry, I'm just kind of like, eh, you could have <laughs> maybe put some effort into structure there. But I think it, with this, it just kind of works because it seems to sort of just go through the years of these three brothers growing up and it, like doing like ridiculous shit that brothers do to each other you know and maybe really I mean I don't know how anyone has siblings and doesn't have like PTSD from like the shit that we do to each other but it's I just but that's kind of why I really like that poem I just thought it was so sweet um, and then Absolution which is the, the shorter poem which really caught me off guard because I think that's kind of why I put them together as well was because Three Brothers is such like a heteronormative like brothers being brothers and kind of being dicks to each other and then there's like absolution which is like let's be honest it's a poem about a blowjob <laughs> i mean yeah. maybe i'm completely wrong but that's definitely kind of what it's alluding to right like i i think so <laughs> um but it's but it's done so well it's i didn't immediately realize it was a sex poem <laughs> until afterwards I mean I god I hope I'm right because once I like have this poem ritual and it's about like the physical intimacy that you you kind of unavoidably end up being in the middle of on like the underground like so the like the subway um and you've no choice over it and like you're only ever that close to another person if you're going out with them Except in that context, and it's just sort of like you're both pretending it's not happening until the door opens and you get to leave. <laughs> but it's, but I, I that that is all that that poem is about. But apparently, someone did a review somewhere, and they said it was about the fleeting intimacy 
the fleeting like intimacy of love and how like love is just it can be fleeting sometimes and the nature of it is that it just passes by in like the blink of an eye and I was like oh my god they think it's a sex poem <laughs> I mean I could see where they got there from the train and the tunnel but like I mean really like no <laughs> I don't think so so I hope I'm not reading his poem wrong I think that's the risk of art it's a public thing once you publish it and yeah you've no control what you read into it yeah oh god no maybe I've just like completely ruined his poem maybe it's not about that I don't know I'm but it, to think of what else it could be um, sympathy maybe uh, something religious um, like praying I don't know maybe I mean I don't do that kind of praying but I mean I, I mean maybe I just didn't go to the right church but Okay, well, maybe, okay, that's a blue joke that maybe I shouldn't make because that's going to flag some people, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I really liked it. I thought it was classy. If it is a sex poem, it's a very classy sex poem. And that that is hard work to pull that one off. You know what I really took um, a risk with? Was Gad Kanar Kissinger's poem In My Mother's Drawer. Um, it's such a short poem. Um, well, I'll just read it because we're talking about it. In my mother's drawer, translated by Natalie Feinstein. In my mother's drawer, I found aerial photographs that mapped me out from afar, from above, untouching. And that's all it is. I mean, I wish I understood Hebrew so that I could maybe, th there might be more to read into it in the Hebrew. I don't really know. But I was kind of like, that's so random. And he is, like, in his 70s. So his mother would have been old enough to have gone through the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And I so immediately thought of a, a friend of... Yeah, yeah and I, but that's kind of how I read it, is that, like, she's photo-documenting him, like, constantly. Like, she can't help it. Because I have a friend whose grandparent was in the Holocaust, and... He did the same thing with a camera all the time. Like, he had to document everything. Just photographs of, like, there's just random photographs. Of, they, they found so many photographs of all of them when they went through his stuff after he died that, like, the, that was just what... They, he always had a camera in his hand. And that's immediately what I went to when I read the poem. And I did kind of say to him, or to his agent, I'm not sure that I direct... No, I didn't directly speak to him. I think I was speaking to his agent. But she was sort of like answering for him and that's that that is exactly what that poem was about it was like his mother just had this compulsion to just photograph him all the time to make sure that there was a record you know like how do you prove anything after something after going through something like that you become obsessed with like you must be sure that there is like a document of everything so that like it's just it's a it's a really strange psychology um, and it's really upsetting. But I just kind of thought that was such an important um, poem to put in there. I also want to say that um, a drawer is similar to like a box in the attic. You know what I mean? There's like yeah. secrets in there. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's. I find short form. I mean, I know I'm obsessed with short form poetry. I know I am. Um, but, like, 
it's so fucking hard to do well. And that is, what, seven lines? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah. I mean, how do you get that much? It's context, though, right? So, if, yeah. If, I will be honest, if that was not about the subject matter that it was about, I wouldn't have gone in. For something that short, I think context has to matter. And he, wow, yeah. Oh, man. Also, if we're going to talk about short poetry, and I'm going to, like, we've been doing this for, like, a while now, so maybe I'm going to take it easy after this. But I think um, Jack Warren's poem, Bombweed. God, that guy. I mean, obviously we like him. He's been in several issues of Anomaly, but I don't know. There's something to his poetry that's sort of... He reminds me a lot of Vona Gork, um, who's an Irish poet. Um, I think it's just like the mood of some of his, his poems kind of remind me of some of her early stuff. That poem really shouldn't work. I mean... Do you know what it is? It's one of those things that, um, it's so weird. It's like, you know, if you're like, your friend needs to go get cigarettes at the shop, but you're like on the way to somewhere and you're just sort of waiting outside and your mind sort of drifts a little bit to like some other random place that it like, that's exactly what that poem does. It's, it's just such a, uh, idiosyncratic little poem. I just kind of love it though. Like, he's, like, in this foreign country, but it still brings him back to, like, his capital. You know what I mean? Like, something sort of connects in there. So there's that, like, note of home that he's sort of carrying with him through Ljubljana. But it's... And his friend just kind of comes back and, like, interrupts the the train of thought. Like, I, I, just, I just think I it's, it's, it's so cute. It's such a great poem. I think we all have these romanticized ideas of travel where like we're gonna be someone new or we're gonna find ourselves and it's just more of the same really <laughs> like yeah I mean you like, never really leave yourself behind do you like yeah. I mean I, I'm definitely like I thought like um I'll move to London and I'll be like in a new city and I'll be someone totally cool and no I'm still the same person <laughs> I always was I think I'm a lot less shy now probably but yeah, it's that it's that thing you never quite leave yourself behind. It's weird. Have you ever moved to like a completely different place? No, um, I've lived in like Northwest Ohio for most of my life. I might have moved cities, but yeah, I'm kind of in the same area. I'm only like my mom literally lives like across the street. Oh, that's really <laughs> nice. I wish my mom lived across the street. She's amazing. <laughs> She'll be really embarrassed that I keep talking about her <laughs> my dad's like super cool as well but he's he's such a character he's so funny but yeah I, I mean that's this that's quite nice though that they're close you know that's the one thing about moving away is that like it's that's the shit part is that actually you, you can't really see your parents whenever you just want to um, I guess for some people that's a good thing but I know like I miss them they're so funny but you do have that thing of like, oh, I'm going to be a totally new person. No one knows me. Oh, yeah, I've taken so many trips to, like, Chicago, and I'd be like, oh, if I moved here, it'd be like this every night. I would just go to shows every night as if I could afford that if I lived there. Yeah, well, London's, like, the exact same way. Like, what? I'm going to go to, like, oh, are you kidding me? I can't afford Book of Mormon. 
I'm not going to be in like the West End every fucking night. Like I didn't like no one does that. And it's really weird because you end up just going out like in the same section of the city that you live in. Because like London is so huge that it's like different parts of the city are practically like a different place. But like I used to always think, oh, I'll go out for drinks in like Soho all the time. Every weekend I'll meet up with my friends. And no, it's like literally like a bunch of us met up the last payday. And we sat in the park in Soho and we're like, oh my God, this is amazing. We're going to have a picnic. And after like two hours, we were like, oh my God, we need to go to a bar and sit down. This is really painful. We can't sit like this. And some of us hadn't seen each other for like five years. So I was, it was like, but because we see each other like on social media and texting or whatever, you forget that actually you haven't physically been in front of the person. And I think that's the danger with, with London as a city is that you kind of, get sort of warped into your kind of microcosm but I I kind of like that poem though because he's in a completely different place and yet he's still sort of thinking (laughs) about like London in the 40s I mean I don't know why that occurred to him but it hey it works it's a good poem okay well I think I've talked your ear off completely for this I apologize it's just very exciting to like actually get to talk to you it's really yeah. nice. You're like the first person I've ever talked to across the pond or across Really? The- yeah. Oh. I think my accent's probably changed. I don't think I'm as Irish as I probably was before. It's also really difficult talking to an American because I have such a flat accent that I kind of tend to switch a little bit. Um, but I, I mean, my dad's from Dublin, so I have less of a... F- of a Kildare accent than most people would. Yeah. So I hope I don't sound too Father Teddy. But <laughs> Father Ted, have you ever seen that? No, I Oh haven't. my god, you don't know what Father Ted is. No. Oh girl, you have to go like look that up. It was like this nineties sitcom where they it's like the main characters are like priests on like this island off the coast of like the west coast of Ireland. It's just like some ridiculous sitcom and their housekeeper is nuts. One of the priests is like a total raging alcoholic. It's just, they're fucking hopeless, like as people, but like, it's so funny. And it just rips the piss out of the, like, it just rips the piss out of the Catholic church, like completely. Um, I'm so surprised it ever got onto TV, but it was just, oh, it's so good. You treat yourself to that. Like, it's so fucking funny. There you go. That's something to, <laughs> to binge watch. Oh, but this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time to do it. Yeah, no problem. It's been good to talk. It's been really good to talk. I love your choices. I think you always have really good choices. You're amazing. Thanks. So, okay, I'm going to let you get back to your Sunday because I'm sure you have to work tomorrow. I don't. (laughs) All right, thanks. Cool. Well, thank you so much for doing this. This is really cool. I don't know how to end this. Yeah, I'm just going to... Bye. (laughs) See ya. So that is our conversation about Anomaly Literary Journal issue six. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much to Sherelle for joining me as well. And here to play us out is the beautiful musical stylings of Ashlyn Evans. And this is her, uh, her second single, Feel About You. You came out of nowhere. And you opened up my eyes to sunlight I 
Can't do anything now to solve it. 